uh, soon. But we've taken some time in the month of March to uh, address the issue of doubt and our faith and how do they intersect. And we have said uh, that number one, we want this to be a safe place to ask questions. And uh, number two, that our doubts, our questions about God, our questions about our faith don't have to destroy our faith. However, not talking about them has the great possibility to do that. So we want to encourage questions. So we thought it'd be fun to do something a little different. So I've asked Rich and Adam and Weena and Jason to uh, join me up here this morning, and we're going to address some of those questions. Uh, Jason is here to keep us on track and on time. Eye candy. That's it. All right. <laughs> Just so you know, when we answer these questions, we're going to be taking you to the Bible, okay? Uh, and so, because that's important to us. Part of what we believe, come, 2 Timothy 3 tells us this, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. One of our core values here at MCC is... Uh, is, is about biblical truth, and that the Bible is as true today as it was 10 years ago, 100 years ago, 1,000 years, that, we, that we, we believe that it's true. And so we seek to engage our culture with this timeless truth, an ever-changing culture with the timeless truth of God. So that's what we're going to do today. All that being said, uh, we're not going to be able to answer all the questions this morning. So uh, they will be online if you go to our social media outlets. They'll be there sometime after tomorrow. So uh, if your question wasn't answered, please don't hear that as it wasn't important. We just, time-wise, we couldn't do them all. Uh, and I hope that asking and answering questions today doesn't end the conversation. This is not meant to end any conversation. It's meant to begin a conversation. That's why small groups are so important to us here. Uh, it gives us the opportunity to ask questions about the Bible, express our doubts, question our faith in a safe place. And so we hope that you will be part of one of our groups. That's why our children's and student ministries are so important. It gives age-appropriate opportunities for children and students to ask questions and express doubts. It's part of our faith. And so this morning, that's what we're going to do. And, uh, and as we begin, I'm going to pray, and then we'll be off, all right? So God, use this time, we pray. Your name is so great, and you are so big. And God, we just, we appreciate that, that our questions and our doubts don't anger or frustrate you, that you love us as your children and welcome all questions because they lead us back to you. And so God, may, may that be truth this morning. We pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So we're going to jump right in and just really dive into some of these questions. And this first question really hits at what Mike was just talking about, like our, our vantage point, our view of where we're coming from this morning to answer these questions uh, is deeply rooted in scripture. Uh, and so the, the first question, and I'm going to give it to Adam, is this, since we have no original text, how can I make myself believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God and simply not second or third hand accounts of a historical event? So how do we wrestle with that truth, like that I believe this is true and, and, and navigate that book uh, for my life? Yeah, well, I think um, that's one of the first places, and, and I said last hour, and I think it's going to be true again this hour, I wish I had a seatbelt because I'm going to want to stand up real bad. Uh, <laughs> but 
you know. Uh, but that's one of the first places of attack for, um, for doubt because if it goes right after the foundation of what we hold and what we build everything off of is this word of God that we say uh, we hold is true. And it's like the whispers of, well, maybe it's not all true or maybe those are just made up or they couldn't possibly be true because the plain fact is it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable that we have today the word of God carried to us generation after generation after generation because the truth of the matter is the Bible isn't a book. It's a collection of 66 books written by 40 different authors over 1,500 years and on three different continents, and we hold it today in our hands, and it still stands inerrant. It still stands without someone who is able to prove that it wasn't true. And many archaeologists, many historians have tried. And no, uh, no discovery has been made that contradicts or, or controverts uh, scripture in all of history. And people have tried. And that's the Old Testament and the New Testament. But let's just talk about the New Testament um, for a second. Because Craig Bloomberg in, in his book Reasonable Faith says this. Scholars of almost every theological stripe attest to the profound care with which the New Testament books were copied in the original language. We have over 5,000 manuscripts and manuscript fragments of portions of the New Testament that have been preserved from the early centuries of Christianity. Overall, 97 to 99% of the New Testament can be reconstructed beyond any reasonable doubt. And no Christian doctrine is founded solely or even primarily on textually disputed passages. The Bible meets or exceeds every standard that we have for historical documents to be considered correct, and still this lie is whispered to us, what if it's not? And so that's the part of faith that, that I've had to wrestle with and just lean into the science and the history of it that says, people have tried and not succeeded. And that is an act of God that we stand here with the, his word and we can worship from it and we can learn from it and we can be transformed by it. But that's the first jump of faith. And I think that it's a, a good one to take because there's plenty of evidence to support it. No, absolutely. And, it's, and it becomes the foundation for everything else that we're going to talk about today and, and everything that we can, can approach. Uh, I just came from a, a trip with uh, 21 fourth through sixth graders. So my voice is a little this way because of that. But it was that <laughs> idea of like we're wrestling to, to keep the word of God, that it's this place that we can go back to over and over again when we have those questions, when we have those doubts, and we can hold on to it. And it can help us navigate life. Uh, and so it was just a, a, a great weekend with that. Um, Mike, the second question really continues to build off of that. It says, I've met people of other religions who are just as passionate and just as convinced that their religion is correct. Why are we right? Why are they wrong? Uh, why is there, our holy book correct and theirs false? Okay. Uh, but that's a, whoever asked that, thank you for asking that. Um, as, we, as we sat down and talked through these questions this week, I would just say, you have given us the opportunity to have some great discussions. And, uh, and I hope that you'll hear this. Whoever wrote this, I hope that you can hear this with the humility with which I say it. But just because someone is convinced and passionate doesn't mean that it's true. Something is true because it's true. Uh, not because we're passionate, not because we're convinced, but it's because it's true. There's a statement that I've heard uh, many times that I'm, I'm pretty sure you've heard too, maybe you've said it from time to time, and that statement is, all religions are basically the same, right? You've heard that, all religions are basically the same. And what some people mean, by the way, by that, 
is that uh, the Christian faith, all Christian faiths are basically the same. We all point to Jesus. We all talk about his atoning death on the cross. We believe that we are sinners in need of grace, and we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That's what some people are talking about. But others are talking about world religions, that all world religions are basically the same. And, uh, and that's not true. And it's not, listen, it's, it's not just the terminology and the characters that make Christianity different from other world religions. It's the nature of our faith. Some world religions are centered on religious uh, philosophy, or they have a, uh, a key prophet or a set of sacred writings. And to be sure, we have that as well, uh, sacred writings and prophets. Those are not the central element of our faith. The center of our faith is based on an event, one event. That's uh, why we're here. We're going to celebrate it at the, toward the end of this service. In a couple of weeks, the whole world is going to recognize it. That one event is Easter. It's the resurrection of Jesus. We hang our hat on that. As a matter of fact, uh, if, if that's not true, if the resurrection is not true, Christianity is false. Jesus said this in John chapter uh, 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Either he's telling the truth, he's lying through his teeth, or he's nutty as a fruitcake. <laughs> Only one of those three things explain that, uh, that sentence. And so we, we believe that he's telling the truth because what Adam mentioned a little bit ago, uh, it is one story. And so we believe you know, over all that time, this one story is being told and it, it, the whole Bible points at Jesus. Uh, we also believe this because of the archeological and historical uh, support for scripture, scientific support and the reliability of prophecy. Now, there's a whole lot more. We're trying to, our answers aren't going to answer everything. We'd love to continue the conversation. Uh, so please hear that as the beginning of that conversation uh, of that question, all right? No, absolutely. And with all of these, we could take the whole time, uh, really the, the 30 minutes, the 25 minutes, answer one question. Uh, and so really we're just beginning to, to reveal the, the iceberg as we've seen in our image, right? Uh, of that there is this bigger narrative that continues to happen and conversation that continues to go over and over again. Uh, Rich, we had a, a few questions come in uh, really with this idea of prayer and, and what is prayer, how does it work, and what does it look like. And, uh, but we got a real personal one, um, and it's, it's not more of a question, it's kind of a statement. And I wanted to, just, to propose it to you and see how we would wrestle with that tension. And it says this, when I was in the planning stages of getting married, uh, my grandmother became very ill. I was too busy to pray uh, much for her. She recovered and lived many more years. Uh, five years later, my grandfather became very ill, and I prayed earnestly for him, and he died shortly after. Prayer is important and necessary, but it's sometimes apparently ineffective, which discourages me. So who or what would you say, <laughs> what does Scripture say to someone who's wrestling with that tension? Yeah, I, I think all of us have probably felt at one point in our life <clears throat> we have uh, brought something to the throne of God with sincere hearts, and we have begged and pleaded uh, more earnestly than we've ever done on any other topic, and it didn't work out the way that we thought it was going to, to, to go. Uh, I know certainly I, I've, I've lived that myself. But uh, it's really important for us to, to understand what that tool is, that communication process that God designed for us to be able to have direct communication with him. You know, uh, sometimes we treat prayer like it is um, us telling God, how my life ought to go. 
um, that God should be concerned with the circumstances and, and sometimes my comfort or the comfort of the other people that I love. But see, God has a different perspective. Um, his perspective is eternal in nature. Um, he is less concerned about our comfort here in this world and more concerned about our eternal destination. And so sometimes with the things that we pray about, um, we kind of forget that we are living in a broken, fallen world, and, and some of the consequences of sin is that, that death that comes. And so you, know, you even remember the Apostle Paul, um, who penned a, a good bit of the New Testament. Uh, the Apostle Paul, I would think, is a, as a guy who is kind of dialed into God. Second um, Corinthians uh, 12, he, he says, three times I asked the Lord to remove this thorn in my flesh, this physical ailment. You know, I, I can relate. You know, God, if you could just take this pain away, I would be a much better servant. I'd be much more effective. And his answer was simply, no. But what he said was, in weakness, my strength is made perfect. In, in our brokenness, we get to uh, amplify what God can do in spite of our circumstances, thereby uh, promoting and building his kingdom because that's the priority, our comfort, those kinds of things. Um, God is not unconcerned, but he's more concerned about eternity than he is these, these short days that we live on this earth. No, absolutely, and it points us to this idea of God's sovereignty. That, that his ways are better than our ways, that, that his timing is not our timing, and, and understanding that. And, and that really wrestles with the, the, a question that gets asked a lot. It's like, why do bad things happen to good people? And it, and it comes to this understanding that we have sin, that there is this fall. Sometimes it's my own personal choices and mistakes and the consequences of that. And I have to wrestle with that tension of understanding that we have a sovereign God who, who is just, uh, but we have a world because of free will there's this brokenness that, that we have to deal with. Um, so absolutely. Uh, Weena, um, this is a, a kind of a hot button que question, um, and so I'll give it to you. Uh, <laughs> um, but what do I tell my uh, homosexual friends who want to know more about Jesus and uh, our homosexual couples welcome here at MCC? First, I wanna address the person who submitted the question and just say thank you. Thank you for being Jesus to your friends who are seeing you and, and searching and looking for something. You're a bright light. You have influence. I hope you recognize that. So thank you. It's so easy as believers to kind of be in a bubble with like people who think the same way as me. So thank you for just being present with your friends and just allowing them um, to ask these questions. So um, two questions in there. What do you say to them? What do you say to any of your friends who are searching and seeking? You tell them that God loves them. Most people in here are familiar with John 3.16, yes? God so loved the all-inclusive. No one is excluded there. And then whoever believes in him, that's anyone, anyone. It's open and welcome to anyone. Second part of that question is our, are they welcome here at MCC? Church, are they welcome here at MCC? Absolutely. Anyone is welcome here. We embrace people with grace and truth. And we look to Jesus. Look at his example. How did he engage with people? Um, the Samaritan woman, uh, he embraced her with kindness. 
he spoke truth to her. But he loved her, saw her where she was, and spoke truth after accepting her and loving her. Okay, then we look to Zacchaeus, a known tax collector, cheated people. Jesus sought him out, said, hey, you, get down here. I'm going to go to your house. We're going to hang out. That one encounter that he had with Jesus was so, like, impacted his life so much that he said, I'm going to give money back to these people that I cheated. I'm going to give them more. Like, that one just time, that one experience with Jesus changed him. Jesus loved him where he was, and it, it changed him. Uh, the woman caught in adultery, drug into town, and um, Jesus again says, I see you. I'm not going to condemn you, um, but I'm going to love you and say, go sin no more. So I think the thing that sometimes, and in, in, um, John 1 talks about this, is Jesus is the embodiment of grace and truth, and in that order, and sometimes we flip it. And so meeting people with where they are, loving them, and then pointing to the truth and saying, this is truth. Let me point you to this, but let me love you where you are. I think that is key in this. No, absolutely, and that's navigating, like you said, having a conversation with anyone. It's balancing that, that idea of grace and truth um, and realizing as a, as a church that our, one of our core values is journey, understanding that this is a process, it is a journey to, to come as you are, uh, and, and we w- encourage that, and we're willing to, to dive in into the messiness of life and to, to help people hear that truth, and so absolutely. Um, Mike, is, is, is there a place here at MCC uh, for people who want to believe in Jesus, who love and respect the man, the man of Jesus, uh, but... Don't, but doubt the truth of Jesus as God. Um, yeah, so you know, there's some questions that we get asked that uh, it's interesting to me. They've always been asked. So we see this one. Actually, this question wasn't really asked of Jesus, but it's reflected in his ministry. So in Mark chapter 9, um, Jesus is with three of his followers on top of a mountain when a father brings his son to approach He thinks he's going to see Jesus, but Jesus isn't there. He's gone. So the other nine are there. And this father has a son who has a demon inside of him. And uh, this demon is trying to kill the boy. And the, uh, the nine are not able to do anything with it. And so right about the time, I'm guessing the father's about to give up. This big argument breaks out. And Jesus shows up with the other three apostles, uh, Peter, James, and John. And they, they come down the mountain and want to know what's going on. As a matter of fact, I think the first question Jesus asks is, how long has this been happening? And uh, so in Mark chapter 9, verse 22, um, the dad says, this has been happening since he was a child. It's often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can help, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus looked at him and said, if you can, right? Are you, are you asking if I can? Uh, He said, everything is possible for one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Um, And so it's always been there. You know, I'm pretty sure about you, but I I don't know if I, you know, if the whole. And so what Weena was talking about, what Jason just alluded to, this, our, you know, faith is a journey. And so we've said we'll meet people where they are and, uh, and, and meet from there. So are doubts and questions welcome? Absolutely. Now, moment of transparency, and I think maybe I speak for everybody in the room. Sometimes when we're asked questions as followers of Jesus, we get a little antsy about that. 
and it puts us on edge. And so our response is not what someone else is hoping for because we're nervous we're not going to have the right words. And, uh, and, and so we need to be mindful of that. We also need to be mindful that as followers of Jesus, in our best moments, in our best moments, we acknowledge the questions we have and the doubts that we have about God and his word and about his son. And, uh, and I mentioned earlier, we've talked about it this whole month, our questions and doubts don't have to, it doesn't mean our faith isn't real. As a matter of fact, the problem is if we don't talk about them, that can do damage to our faith. And so we need to be careful. We want to be the place where people can ask questions and express doubts. Uh, end, of the Old or end of the New Testament, James says this, James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. That's the kind of place uh, we want to be here at MCC. No, absolutely. Um, Rich, this, this question is, is it's heavy. Um, there's no way around it. And we've all maybe have known someone or experienced someone uh, kind of in this situation. And it's this. It says, if someone commits suicide, uh, can they go to heaven? My dad and brother have been suicidal on and off and suffer from depression. What can I do to prevent this? And what will happen if I can't fix this? Yeah, that's... <clears throat> I think there's a lot of folks who've probably been impacted uh, in some way or another with uh, suicide. Um, there are a thousand questions that you will not have answered on this side of heaven. Um, but I do want to give you some encouragement. Um, the, the tough battles that we fight with, with suicide, part of it is because we just don't want to talk about it. Um, some people have, have labeled it as the unforgivable sin when, you know, Mark 3.29 kind of clears that one up and it, it says that the sin that's not forgiven is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So, you know, let's take that one off the table right away because that puts us into this position where we have to uh, say, I'm sorry for every single thing that we've done. I can't keep track. I, you know, I'm, I'm, not that I'm that bad, but you know what I'm saying? <clears throat> uh, grace is beautiful and big. Uh, now, the issue of... of of suicide, people who struggle with uh, depression, with anxiety, uh, those are those are real uh, medical conditions. Uh, when I first started studying psychology back in the early 80s, uh, there was a stigma that was attached to mental health issues. Um, you know, the only only crazy people deal with that kind of stuff, and the, the rest of society pretended in silence and struggled alone. That has changed a lot, but it's changed a lot because we've talked about it. And so what can I do? Well, there are some things that you can do. You can listen. You can check on them. You can follow up. Bring it up when you say, oh, I don't want to bring it up. They're not talking about it. Trust me. It's on their heart. It's on their mind. If you talk about it with them, they're going to breathe a sigh of relief and feel somebody finally cares enough to ask. So talk to them. Support them. Help them find options that work. Take them, drive them to a counselor. We've got dozens of counselors that we make referrals to on a regular basis here at MCC. Help them find somebody who can help them sort through it. Because there's some things that you can't do. You, you can't talk somebody out of depression. A conversation is not going to change somebody's mind about uh, what they're going to do or not do with suicide. It didn't happen to them overnight, and it's not going to be a recovery that's going to be a magic bullet. Um, I, what I want you to do is recognize that you can walk through them. 
No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. Here's the cool part. He'll provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. You see, it didn't say, I'm going to make it all go away. He said, I'm going to give you grace and strength and people so that you can endure these hardships. So stay with people. Let them know that you love them. Don't let them do it alone. Oh, absolutely. That, that idea of community and that we are better together than we are apart has definitely uh, <clears throat> reminded us of that. Uh, Adam, this, this question kind of uh, balances the, the idea of, of the Bible and science. And so with the understanding that God is outside of time and a day is like a thousand years to him, how do we know that God created the world in seven literal 24 hours, days? Um, and so with this understanding of time being conceptual, like God's outside of time, how can we believe outside scientific evidence in addition to the creation account? Um, this is a, a good one for me because I've been down this road before. And I think it's important when we get to this question because um, at every question, each of us has said, yeah, I've had this question too. And so it's just, a, I think, something to bookmark in your mind and just say, oh, yeah, we do all go through these things. And, and the only reason that we can sit up here and have some sort of semblance of certainty is that we've wrestled with um, these things as we've gone through our journey. So the conversations are important. But um, the, the lie that science and faith are divergent courses is one that I have had to wrestle with for many years. I mean, when I was in high school, if you asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I would have said an engineer, more specifically a chemical engineer, because I loved chemistry. I loved it. I loved science. And immediately when I felt the call into ministry, uh, I would make jokes that, well, I'll have to put away math and science because you don't need those in ministry. And God has beaten me up over that for the next 12 years because science, good science, informs your worship. And, and worship is made better because you discover a universe that God has created. Genesis 1 seeks to make a point about creation, that God created everything out of nothing and that it all holds together at his power. He is the one who authors and perfected creation. We broke it, but he still holds everything together so that we might be reconciled to him. That's what Genesis 1 tries to, tries to tell people, that there is this ex nihilo, out of nothing creation. And that that creation is only still together because God says so. He is all powerful and above and beyond all science. And science has a limit because science seeks to understand the observable universe. And observable is the key term there because we're in this room worshiping a God who is beyond and surpasses all understanding. And so on the other side of what we can observe, on the other side of impossible, stands the God who we're here worshiping, who draws us to himself. And so science will say time and time again, this is certain because we see it. Oh, wait, we've seen something else. So it's possible now. Science has, has repeatedly throughout history been, this is impossible until it's not. And we in the church are saying, yeah, because of God, because there's something beyond that. And so to paraphrase, or another way to say it, misquote Einstein, um, he says that faith without science is ignorant and science without faith is, uh, is empty. That good science draws you to a worship that is more informed and brings you to a place of deeper awe 
when you stand and you say, God not only created everything in the universe and holds it together at his power, but he also holds together my broken life. And he wants something for me. That's my father who's above and outside of time. And so uh, the short answer to that is, yes, you can have science and faith. Yeah. Yes. You could have just yes. led with that. You know? Just could have okay. gone, yes, no. <laughs> done. We're done. No, uh, <laughs> well, one of those concepts of, of our faith and, and understanding God and, and just this, this trinity is this Holy Spirit. Um, sometimes we don't talk about the Holy Spirit because, again, we're kind of afraid to, don't understand everything about um, the Holy Spirit. And so we have a question here, Weena, um, that says, I've been baptized, but I'm not sure how to know the Holy Spirit is guiding me because I don't feel or hear him. How can I know that I'm doing what God wants and that it's the Spirit and not my own nature? Okay, so I want to just create another Me Too moment here um, because as pastors sitting up here and everyone in the room, We've been there. We know what it's like when it's like God is silent. And so you're not alone in feeling that way. We all have seasons um, in our walk where we experience that. But this is when we have to tell ourselves, what do we know based on God's word? So we know that as believers, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We just sang a song, I love, that God just orchestrated, that we could sing this song about that. Uh, I'm not going to forsake you, not for a moment. No. It's not going to happen. So he is with us. He's not going to go back on his word. That isn't who he is. He can't do it. He's God. He says, I'm not going to leave you. I won't forsake you. So we can take that to the bank. That is true. So there are seasons and times when it may feel like he's not with us or we just don't, it feels like he's silent. So I would say um, as believers, uh, there's some ownership on our part here. So we can do some things that will be helpful. Um, talking to God about it regularly is huge. He's big enough to handle that doubt. Take it to him. Look at the way David communicated with him in Psalms. There are just tons of examples. Just share with him regularly. When we do that prayer, and, and Rich alluded to this too, like it's, it's not about us saying, hey, here's what I want you to do. Here's my plan, my agenda. It's us aligning our heart with God's heart. Watch what he'll do to you when you just start going to him. Um, God's word is huge, and um, you have got to stay rooted in it. Um, Romans 12.2 says that we renew our mind. And so I have a little practice. I brought my little cards. I learned this from my sweet mom a long time ago. You write things down. If you're struggling with something, you go to God's Word, use the YouVersion Bible app, use Bible Gateway, find verses that speak to whatever that struggle is. And you, I write them down. I carry them with me in my purse. If you come to my house right now, you're going to see these in my house, in my bathroom, by my coffee maker. We write on mirrors. We, this is how you renew the mind. And if you look at that verse, the renewing of our minds is directly related, directly impacts the way we discern God's will and purpose in our lives. So that's very, very helpful. No, absolutely. That's great. <laughs> Mike, I, th I think we've all been in this place uh, wrestling with this question, and it's a question on forgiveness. <laughs> says, how do I prepare my heart to show forgiveness to someone who has committed a, just a horrible act to me or to my family? Um, you know, when we, again, when we looked through these, first of all, I just want to, I want to say, if, that, if you're the one who wrote that, we're just so sorry that you've had this happen to you. 
um, it breaks our heart to have a friend uh, go through something where someone has treated them so poorly uh, or has done something so hateful and hurtful uh, that they're still struggling with it. And, and Jesus does talk about this. As a matter of fact, Jesus was talking about forgiveness, and then he took off and started talking about other things, and Peter could not let go of this idea of forgiveness. And so Peter asks Jesus in Matthew 18, uh, says, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And what Peter was doing, because we don't necessarily recognize it in our day and age, is the rabbis were teaching that you forgave somebody three times. If they did something against you a fourth time, then you were off the hook for forgiving them. And, and he said, so Peter took the number, doubled it, and added one because, you know, he was looking for an attaboy. And uh, Jesus said to him, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Or that could be translated 70 times seven. But regardless of whether it's 77 or 490, I don't, think what, I don't think what Jesus is doing is counting. That's not what that's about. What Jesus is telling us is that I want you to forgive again and again and again and again as often as you need to. And so it's easy to say that when you're asked a question. It's way more difficult when you're living it in real life. For some of the things that have happened to us in the room, uh, to realize that that's what God is going after. And so how do you do that? Uh, because it's not easy. So the first, there's two things I want to give you. Number one is remember why God tells his children to forgive other people. The, the word forgive in the New Testament, one of them is me. It's used uh, very often, and it has the idea of releasing something that you have grasped or that you hold close to you. It's about this idea of releasing something. And, and so um, uh, when Jesus talks about forgiveness, instead of the word forgiveness, listen to how these verses sound when we use that word. So in Matthew 6, Jesus prayed and release our sins just as we have released those who have sinned against us. In Matthew 6, 14, he says, if you release others of the wrongs they have done to you, your father in heaven will also release you. And in Matthew 18, it's what Peter said, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I release my brother if he sins against me? Up to seven times. I was going to say, according to Jesus, regardless of the magnitude of the hurts that we have received in our lifetime, the reality is if we don't let them go, if we don't release them, they, they, they begin to grow inside of us. And then the separate hurts find each other inside of us and grow into something that's much worse and much more hateful and much more hurtful. And so the understanding is that forgiveness can be a journey and Satan doesn't want you to take that journey because Jesus said about him in John 10 that the, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And if Satan can do that through your unforgiveness, someone hurts you and then you allow that hurt to hurt you more and destroy you, Satan wins. So the first thing is just remember why God wants you to do that. Here's the second thing. Uh, the second thing that you can do is to pray. And, uh, and here's the prayer. And this may offend you, uh, but I think it's pretty, it's pretty raw, pretty real. Jesus, I hate this person. Teach me how I can learn to love and forgive them. So a friend of mine said, forgiveness is not fair. We acknowledge that. When someone hurts us, we say, well, that's not 
fair, right? We say, I don't, I don't deserve that. That's not right that that happens to me. And if we didn't deserve to be treated that way, then what's fair about letting them off the hook, right? I mean, that's the problem with forgiveness. It's, it's not fair. And I want to say, you're right, it's not fair. If someone's asking you for forgiveness or when you ask someone else for forgiveness, it's not fair. But I know when I ask someone for forgiveness, I'm not hoping for fair. I'm hoping for kind. That's part of what God is saying to us. <laughs> because when we go to Jesus and ask for forgiveness of our sins, are we wanting him to be fair with us? No. No, what we're wanting is him to be kind with us. You know, we chose this question, actually, we positioned it to be last. Because it, it's what we celebrate every week when we come to our communion time. When we come to a time of communion, our greatest hope, the reason we even remember every week, is because our hope is that Jesus isn't fair with us. Because we know what fair is. The wages of sin is death. Fair is hell. That's what's fair. Fair is Jesus not dying on the cross for something he didn't do. That's fair. Communion reminds us that Jesus wasn't fair. He was kind. And he loves us. And he forgives us. And so part of the answer to this question is that's what God wants for us, to be like his son and to respond to kind. But it's not easy, and it's a journey. And maybe, maybe for some of us in the room this morning, this time of communion today is the first step in that journey. It won't be over today. It won't be over in a week. It may be a longer journey for you, but every journey begins with one step. So your next step perhaps today is to ask God, as we take communion, and we're reminded of what he's forgiven us of, that he allows us to forgive others. Why don't we go to him? God, we do pray for this time right now. We just ask that you would use it to continue to mold our hearts and to change us. Help us to release when someone has hurt us, in part because of what it does to us as your kids, but in part because that makes us like your son. And God, I know there are those in the room who the, the hurt is just so fresh still or is so deep and painful. It seems impossible to do that. And so God, today we pray during this time of communion as we hold the bread that reminds us of your son's body that was broken for our sins and his blood that was shed for our sins. God, that we would take one step toward him in our lives begin the journey of forgiveness. God, use this time to draw us closer to you and help us to become more like you. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.